Hello everyone, you're listening to J Movie Talk, episode 120, as I'll be talking the long kiss goodnight. Good morning, Raymond. Good morning, Miss Kane. What have we learned about the dangers of smoking? Give it here. Thanks. Tell anyone you saw me, I'll blow your fucking head off. Hey everybody, I'm back um, for episode 120 to kick off May Action Month on the podcast here. Uh, Just for any new listeners who aren't familiar with May Action, it's the second May Action. I did the first one last year um, and everything because I wanted to try to do something a little different on the podcast. So I decided, you know, to kind of dedicate a month or whatnot around a big major release that was coming out. And last year it was um, Avengers Infinity War. So I kind of decided to do some movies that featured a couple of people that was featured in the MCU. Um, Josh Brolin, who plays Thanos um, in the Marvel movies. And Benicio Del Toro, who showed up, you know, at different points in different movies as the collector throughout the MCU. So last year I did some movies that featured both of those guys, as well as... Tommy Lee Jones, who's kind of showed up in one of the movies as well, which was a happy accident in a way. Um, this year, uh, for May Action, I decided to revolve it around John Wick Chapter 3, which comes out May 17th. So, uh, kicking off with um, this one for episode 120, I decided to do The Long Kiss Goodnight, which stars uh, Gina Davis as Charlie slash Samantha. Uh, Samuel Jackson as Mitch Hennessy, um, Yvonne Zimmer as Catelyn, Caitlin, uh, Craig Burko as Timothy, um, Brian Cox as Nathan J. Waldman, um, David Morris as Luke slash Deadless, and that's pretty much your main cast of characters here. Um, it's directed by Rennie Harlan, which I did mention a bit about him for anyone who followed along my Nightmare on Elm Street um, recap that I did for the podcast where he directed uh, part three and everything. And so I kind of gave like a little rundown about him and stuff like that. And <clears throat> oh, excuse me, part four, I'm sorry, not part three. He directed Dream Master, not uh, Dream Warriors um, and everything. So I kind of gave like a little rundown about him. And everything. So I do another little brief recap talking about Rennie Harlan. So uh, after uh, he did Dream Master Part Four, he did Adventures of Ford Fairlane. That starred a uh, freaking Andrew Dice Clay. Then he did um, Die Hard Part Two, um, and then Cliffhanger in '93. And then, unfortunately, uh, this is the the first of two movies he did with uh, Gina Davis, which in a way I want to say kind of helped ruin Gina Davis' career in a way. Uh, this movie I'm about to mention, 1995's Cutthroat Island, and then The Long Kiss Goodnight. Now, if if um, Long Kiss Goodnight actually came out first, then Cutthroat Island, I don't think Gina Davis' career would have suffered, but... The fact that Cutthroat Island came out in 95 and then this came out in 96. I don't think anybody really cared about another Rennie Harlan, Gina Davis movie and everything like that. So I like to think that 
because of the disastrous results of Cutthroat Island. That's why no one really watched uh, The Lone Kids Goodnight um, and everything like that. So that's just a little tidbit. About, I mean, granted, Rennie Harlan, he went on to still kind of direct some decent movies after this. Uh, Deep Blue Sea being one. Uh, Mindhunter being another. Uh, 12 Rounds with freaking John Cena. How the hell? I didn't even know he directed that. But yeah, that's what he went uh, he directed that as well as another Samuel Jackson. So he's basically directed three movies with Samuel Jackson: Lone Kiss Goodnight, uh, The Cleaner in 2007, as well as Deep Blue Sea in 1999. So there's like a Samuel Jackson Rennie Harlan trilogy that people actually have, um, and everything, uh, which I find very interesting. Uh, like I said, I didn't even know that. Didn't even pay attention to it the first time when I talked about Rennie Harlan. I guess pay attention a little bit more now because of the fact that I'm talking about a movie that has Samuel Jackson in it. So, um, getting into this uh, movie, the movie basically opens up with uh, Gina Davis as Samantha, who's basically trying to remember exactly who she is. It's been eight years since she, um, you know, since Samantha, you know, came about and everything. She has no memory of her life before the eight years prior. Um, She's married. She has a daughter and everything like that. And she seems to be like, you know, a nice woman. She works. Um, she's a school teacher. Um, she's on the PTA and everything like that. And it's during Christmas time for this movie. And they're having a big Christmas party, a bunch of friends. And I'm assuming um, her husband, Hal, his family is there because Samantha has no family. Um so friends and you know people like that and everything is there and after the party is over samantha decides to drive home one of um one of their elderly friends and he gets kind of handsy with her because he is drunk or whatnot and as they're kind of arguing on the road a freaking deer is in the middle of the road and they smack into this deer and it's not supposed to be funny or anything like that but i guess i got a twisted sense of humor and it's probably the same sense of humor that rennie harlan has or something um and everything because when they smack into this deer it almost looks very comical um and then the kid the, the kid the deer kicks uh, the old man in the head basically knocking him out and samantha's like freaking out as this happens car goes off the side of the road smacks into the tree now samantha was wearing her seatbelt. But some way, somehow, she is tossed through the windshield. She goes one way. The deer flies off the car to another direction. They both land in the snow. And with this, clearly she has a concussion or whatnot. But uh, she gets like a flash of a different version of herself. And she gets up and she goes over to the deer, snaps the deer's neck. The old man, he basically dies in the car. And everything like that. So she ends up in the hospital. And in the hospital, she's still having like these visions of a different version of herself. And in there's a part where there's a mirror and everything. And the version of Samantha in the mirror, who we find out is Charlie, tells her, like, you know, you used to smoke and, and everything like that. And she's like, see how easy that is? Say the name's Charlie, by the way. So she comes back and... <clears throat> She kind of starts, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what the hell exactly going on? Who is this Charlie person? I, I need answers. I need this, that, and the other. So, um, while that's all going on, this guy um, that's in prison, 
one-eyed Jack. That's the only name he's given. Um, he's watching like the Christmas parade or whatnot that's on television, and he sees Samantha, who's Mrs. Claus, you know, on the float and everything. He freaks out and everything like this. And next thing you know, he's broken out of jail. He shows up at Samantha's home, and he attacks her, beats the hell out of the husband, you know, knocking him out. Um, tries to, in a funny way, he. He, he comes in there with a freaking, it's a shotgun, but then also, too, it has, like, a grenade launcher on it. Like, what kind of gun, what kind of shotgun is this or whatnot? But, yeah, it, it's, it goes from being a shotgun to a grenade launcher all in one, some way, somehow. And he blows a hole in the wall, and Samantha, who kind of goes on to protection mode, she gets Caitlin, tosses her out the window because the treehouse is right, conveniently right next to this wall or whatnot. So she takes her, throws her out the hole into the treehouse. She gets into the fight with One-Eyed Jack, and she basically, they end up in the kitchen, and she basically hits him in the face so hard with a, um, like a, a pie a bowl or something like that, and eggnog, I don't know exactly what it was, but some type of Christmas dish, and basically knocks the hell out of him. He falls to the floor, and then she gets behind him, punches him in the back, and then snaps his neck as the husband comes in, and... She has like this sadistic look on her face, and the husband looking like, "What the hell is going on here?" And it's like in that instant, she, Charlie disappears out of her, and she comes back to being Samantha. And Samantha freaks out because she's trying to figure out where's Caitlin and everything. She rushes outside, and Samuel Jackson showed up because Samuel Jackson is a private detective that she's hired to kind of, you know, help her find her past or whatnot. So he actually shows up and everything and he has Caitlyn out of his car and of course when the police shows up first thing they want to do is pull the guns on the black man you know freeze or whatnot you know and it, it takes the little girl to be the one to say don't shoot him don't don't shoot don't harm him or whatnot and it's like really well now of course you're not thinking about it in 96 not necessarily but uh nowadays it's like yeah okay you know conveniently yeah the, the cops pull up they see the black guy the only black guy there and Clearly, he's guilty or something, right? So, whatnot. So, uh, Mitch basically gets with Sam, and they decide to go on a road trip to, you know, try to uncover the mystery that is Samantha Kane slash this Charlie person. And as they're going about and everything, um, they so yeah, they go on this road trip. Um, and everything like that. So, real quick, just want to talk about Samuel Jackson's performance in this movie. I mean, of course, this is 1996 Samuel Jackson, two years removed away from Pulp Fiction and everything. At this point, he's still not as... He's not the megastar that he would eventually become, but he's gradually on his way. And I think without Samuel Jackson in this movie, the movie is not as good as it is um it, it, i mean it's still a good movie but it, i think if someone else played the part of mitch hennessy in this i don't think the movie would would be as good because he had he plays a i mean the movie has like this balance of action comedy and it, it, comedic stuff all you know when it needs to be it's not like uh bad boys 2 which is you know more comedy than action whereas the first bad boys was more action than comedy um and everything like that 
So, but with this, it has a good balance. It knows when to be serious. It knows when to be funny. And even in some cases, it is funny and serious all at the same time. But it still takes the seriousness of it um, very serious, you know, basically. Um, but back to Samuel Jackson, I think he does a really good job here of, you know, as Mitch Hennessy, you know, this guy who basically down on his look. And he even gets brought up about how is it that he's gotten so far in life because of the fact that he seems low rent and everything. And and it's funny, too, how throughout the movie he's dressed like he's going golfing. Now, I don't know if this is around the time when he actually got into golf and everything, so it's like a playoff of that. But he, he dressed like he's ready to go you know, go on the freaking PGA tour or something throughout most of the movie. And it's like, okay, what the hell is the purpose of that? But it, it, it brings up more fun and jokes and everything. And just a lot of crazy things happen to him in this movie. Like he gets tossed out of a freaking moving uh, car or whatnot, van and everything gets tossed out in the middle of the road by Charlie and later on in the movie. And he lays there in the middle of the road, basically, and just smoking a cigarette. He never gets up. People just standing on the side. Of the road. They just look at it. And I think Samuel Jackson just brings a a a charm to the character of Mitch Hennessy. Because it could have went one of two ways. But we even get like a little backstory with him. That clearly um, his ex-wife um, isn't too pleased with him. Because he, you know, is this low-rent kind of hustler type guy or whatnot. Even though he tries to have a relationship with his son but the mom, she doesn't really like it and things like that. So we do get like a little backstory with him. And he in some ways becomes Charlie's conscience later on in the movie that makes her want to be good. Just by little things that he says. And I like to say it, Samuel Jackson as an actor, in my opinion, is what brings that to life in a very good way. Um, so, um, after so like i say the road trip thing is going on and everything and they're going through like some of samantha's old stuff and they come across this uh nathan j waldman uh and everything it has a telephone number so they proceed to call him and that's brian cox and he's basically like, okay um he finds out you know samantha's you know sam charlie is still alive and he's surprised and everything like that and he tells her, okay, meet me here um, at the station. I'll come and I can explain everything to you. So um, they decide to go meet with Waldman at this place. And while they're there waiting, um, Mitch, he goes to the restroom and Samantha's at the bar. And that's when this guy uh, comes up, uh, Timothy, played by Craig Belko, who he's like a like an assassin as well and everything. He understands that she's... that. Charlie is back and everything like this. So he basically shows up to get confirmation that it's really her. And they have like an exchange and he can tell that it's not really Samantha. He know they no, he can tell that it's really not Charlie. He realized that she doesn't know him at all because he says that he can tell when someone's lying to him. So he proceeds to walk away as uh, Mitch comes up and you know, like who's that and everything. It's like, oh, just some guy or whatnot. So as they're standing there waiting, this guy, glasses and a hat, he comes walking up. And they're like, Mr. Waldman. Now, us as the viewers clearly know that that's not Brian Cox. Just some guy or whatnot. He comes out with this big gun and everything. And we get this shootout in this train station. A bunch of these uh, headhunter assassins, they get killed in the process. And 
Samantha and Mitch, they basically escape by having to jump out of, out of a window that's as the room as the hallway has been blown up behind them. They crash through the snow, and as they're like coming up to like get to their car, or whatnot, the real Waldman shows up, and they get in, and as they're going away, and everything like that, they're driving down the road. Everything's crazy, and Waldman he basically you know gives them the rundown about who. Samantha really is that Samantha was really a cover that her real name is Charlie Baltimore she was a trained assassin she went missing eight years ago and now here she is back as this Samantha Kane woman and Mitch he kind of has like a freak out about it like he can't believe that this is real she is basically petrified at the whole information that's being told to them and everything like that and now what I feel like is one of not really one of the smartest things for them to do is that when they pull over to the side of the road because they are soaking wet after going to the snow, they decide to change clothes and everything. And Waldman is still like telling them, like, okay, this is what's going on, who Timothy is and everything about this deadless um, character and everything. Who we, Up to this point, we just kind of heard the name, but we, we haven't seen this person yet. He's basically trying to figure out how she's alive. And, and for some reason, Mitch gets real paranoid about Waldman for some reason. And figures that Waldman is actually um, trying to set them up and everything because how is it that Timothy and the goon squad knew that they would be at this train station without his phone being tapped and or that he led them there purposely and everything like this. So they they um, decides to basically uh, jump uh, Waldman, leaves him on the side of the road, and they take off. And th now this is what I thought was crazy too because there's a line where Samantha says like, oh, like she don't believe she don't believe anything that that Waldman says, but they need to go find this Luke guy that she was potentially supposed to be getting married to, to get answers from him. And everything's like, well, but Waldman was just giving you answers, but you didn't want to believe that because that seems too far fetched. But let's go find this guy that you were supposed to be engaged to, and get answers from him. So they end up at this uh, farm, and that's where we meet Luke, who's played by David Morris, and and everything and you know basically the whole thing about her them supposed to be getting married and everything so they decide to go off talking and everything and Mitch he kind of hangs back but he's watching very closely and everything and as he's watching that's when Waldman he shows up puts a gun on Mitch and tells him like hey like what the hell are you doing here it's like look she came to see like an old fiance it's like it's like Charlie's never engaged like engaged to be married like got a letter from her to uh, to this uncle max or whatnot and then they walman freaks out and tells him like no like luke is actually uh, a target that's why she knows so much about him because she was actually assigned to kill him and right when they get ready to go warn her timothy and some old goons show up and they basically get captured and here is where i feel like i mean this kind of happens in a lot of action movies especially for like the 80s and early 90s too where someone especially with charlie she isn't she isn't charlie she's samantha still to this point yeah we get flashes of charlie but but samantha is the full-on persona that's going on here but in this scene where um deadless and um timothy have samantha tied to this like um kind of I don't know exactly what the hell to call it, but they got to tie it up, and they basically going to dunk it down in this freezing ice water. And 
to get answers from her to find out why exactly has she come back and this, that, and the other. So in the process of doing this, um, while she's on the water, we find out that Wallman has been killed because he's underneath the water um, and everything. But why they have her down there, and because it's so, it's being so freaking cold, this, with this coldness, cold water and everything, and being brought up back and forth, she is basically, um, she's basically brought back as Charlie. So in in a roundabout way, they actually in turn bring back Charlie, and of course she escapes. Uh, she ends up killing Deadless, and she rescues uh, Mitch, who's been beaten and thrown down in a freaking basement. It looks like, and everything like that. So like I say, in a way, they kind of by virtue bring her back, accidentally without trying to bring her back. Um. So, I do want to talk about Jenna Davis' performance here. Um, now, I, I was never, like, one of the biggest, biggest Gina Davis fans. I mean, I do like some movies that she's been in. Um, I think this is the last really good movie that she has been in, um, and everything like that. Mainly because of the freaking Cutthroat Island movie. Um, I mean, she's very good in League of Their Own. Uh, Thelma Louise, I think she's good in. And, like I say, some, like, earlier 80s stuff, The Fly, and... And things like even hell, even um, Earth Girls are easy with her and and um, another her and Jeff Goldblum movie or whatnot. She's good in that. She she is a good actress. Um, but this movie really proves just how good she is, especially with the whole how she can be Samantha and Charlie and go back and forth and even some scenes of being both and everything. And she's very good with the action and things like that. I can say this because especially with the fact that when she becomes full on Charlie, she she dyes her hair blonde. And I'm like, well, she's basically atomic blonde or <laughs> whatnot, uh, which is another really good movie, too, um, if anyone has to check that out um, and everything. So, um, but I just felt like that if Cutthroat Island didn't happen or anything, maybe we could have got another long kiss goodnight movie or maybe another action movie with Gina Davis or something like that because it's unfortunate that with the disastrous results that was Cutthroat Island this movie didn't get no type of play or anything and I mean it grew a fan base I think mainly because of home video um, you know VHS back at that time and DVDs of course years later um, but it, it, at the time that it came out, it just kind of came and went because they just like, yeah, we, we we can't push this because it has Gina Davis and Rennie Harlan names and it's going to bring back Cutthroat Island vibes. But I feel like if given the opportunity, I think Gina Davis does have like another good, you know, solid action. Well, maybe not necessarily action uh, movie, but just something that brings her back into the the spotlight to showcase like hey she was and is you know a good actress i know she did some tv stuff you know some years later after this or whatnot that people they kind of watched but they didn't really watch it didn't really you know blow her off you know blow her back up on on the main scene or anything like that but i think she's very good in this movie um i know one thing about this movie um especially when the born identity movie came out that there is some similarities between the two and i know some people be like hey well the born identity ripped this movie off and and technically they're right but at the same time they're wrong because 
the Born Identity story, um, if I'm not wrong on this, I didn't look it up again to see, but if I'm not wrong, I think the story of the Born Identity actually came out before this movie, so in a way, this movie kind of rips off that more so than anything, but there are similarities where you have an assassin who gets amnesia, don't know who they are, found floating in the water, and trying to uncover exactly who they are, that's how they come back to being who they really are. So, I mean, there is a lot of similarities there, but with the Bourne movies, you got a franchise out of that, whereas with this, we just get one movie. Um, and like I say, it would have been cool if they would have did more with this character, because I think there is more to it. Um, like I said, how is it, especially if you did a second movie where, you know, she is Charlie, but she's still pretending to be Samantha. The husband knows, the daughter knows, Mitch knows, but we don't know what other, you know, assassins could be out there that might want her dead or something like that. And, you know, to get the team back together, you know, her and Mitch, and they have to go off and, you know, save the world or something like that. You never know. They could have, there could have been things of that nature that could have been done. But unfortunately, we just got the one movie. Um,. So, getting back into the movie or whatnot, um, Ch Charlie, you know, she is back full-fledged, and Mitch, he can't, he seems to, can't get, wrap his mind around the fact that this woman that he had been with, Samantha, is this cold-hearted, cold-blooded assassin woman named Charlie, and who is completely different, different in persona from, um, what Samantha is. And she calls her old uh, boss, uh, Mr. Perkins, who conveniently is what she named her daughter's bear, teddy bear, Mr. Perkins, which is kind of funny, everything. Um, so she calls him, who we find out is actually working with Timothy and everything. Um, because, the, 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 well, I'll get to it later, but the, the big reveal plot twist of this whole thing is kind of ridiculous in a way. Um, but we find out that Perkins is working with Timothy and Charlie kind of gets the hint that things aren't right. So she goes out and she's just kind of walking the streets or whatnot. And this dude, he tries to hit on her and everything. And then we come to find out that he's like, a, he's an assassin. So they end up in an alley. He pulls a gun on her. She's like, like, why does Perkins want me dead so quick? Like, what's the, what's the rush or whatnot? And he's trying to figure out like, why is she so calm about this? And then Mitch, he shows up out of nowhere, puts the gun on the assassin. And of course, we get this funny exchange about them and everything like this. And she's like, like, you don't think I could take care of him? You say, you probably scared off the other ones and stuff. Like, what other ones? Like, they're headhunters. You know, they probably travel in packs, you know. So she beats the hell out of the guy and takes his gun, shoots him, and then shoots the guy that's behind um, Mitch that's creeping up on him. And we get this whole thing. And she's like, I'm getting the hell out of here. So that's when they get into the truck and everything and she's basically planning out like what she's going to do and mitch is like hey like what are you talking right now it's as if you don't need me anymore it's like yeah good point and then that's when she kicks him out of the truck while he's moving and everything and, and like i said earlier by him laying in the middle of the road and everything she drives around the block at least twice um all that was a continuity error but she drives around at least twice after she kicks him out she comes back and she's just like hey get in She's like, well, you found a use for me, huh? Like, yeah, everything. So, you know, they decide to take the fight to Perkins and Timothy and everybody like this. And throughout this process, they have to go back to her hometown to get this chain 
um, that that Mr. Perkins has around his neck to unlock this this uh, box or something like that. And she tries to get back to the house, you know, discreetly without the uh, the husband or her daughter seeing her and everything. But she she notices that there's a Christmas pageant going on and everything. She just kind of watching her daughter, so she she clearly still has feelings. Know, about her daughter because even though Charlie was not the main persona but Charlie is inside you know the whole time and is you know seeing Samantha be with Charlie uh, be with uh, Caitlin and everything like this and um so clearly she has feelings for her daughter now the whole thing with the husband thing you don't really get that between them or anything but she does have the connection to her daughter so while she's kind of watching and everything like this Mitch gets um is getting chased by these um goons that's in a in a car that's chasing him around town and they're shooting at him and conveniently in this small, you know, northern town or whatnot, no one is around to even see this like, hey, there's a car chase with these guys shooting at this guy and no one seems to be around to even see it. But Charlie she shows up in fashion where she's on the freaking ice. She's ice skating and she basically shoot shoot has a shootout with the guys while she's on skates kills kills the guys and stuff i mean it's a, it's a cool scene i mean it is kind of cheesy but it's still a cool scene at least to me or whatnot um so in the process of this timothy shows up at the um at the little church where they're having the recital and everything and kidnaps caitlin and basically lets charlie know like hey i got your kid here and basically exchange wants to exchange her for the kid and everything and of course things don't go right um, Mitch and Charlie gets kidnapped uh, once again, and for some reason Mitch is always the one that gets beat to holy hell, uh, which I don't understand. That um, I mean I do, but at the same time I don't understand why Mitch always got to be the one to get beat up. But um, so throughout this whole thing, uh, Charlie lets Timothy know that Caitlin is actually his kid, and he looks at her and then he looks her in the eyes and basically the whole thing is like they have the same eyes and everything like that and timothy kind of plays it off and and everything and he decides like okay well we're gonna kill kill him anyway and everything and doing this part they're getting ready to kill uh mitch in another room because they have him tied to a chair and uh, charlie is frantically trying to get a spark started by using her doll by using her daughter's doll um you know, the, the pee dolls that used to come out in the 90s. You know, the dolls that pee and everything. Why was that a thing? I still don't understand why. But apparently, it was a huge thing back at that time. Luckily, I'm a, I am was a boy. And I was one playing video games and playing sports. Because if I, was, if I was a little girl, then I don't know if I necessarily would have wanted a doll that peed. But for some reason, a lot of little girls back at the time wanted dolls that peed. For some reason. I, I, I don't understand it. <laughs> but they did. Um... But anyway, so she takes the doll that pees and, you know, leaves a trail and she's trying to get a spark started. But because they're in this ice cold room, it's kind of hard to get a spark started. And in a kind of almost funny way, the daughter, she she sees her mom is basically having a hard time trying to get this thing started. And then she comes out with these matches and I'm like, you, you had these matches this whole time and you let your mom sit there and suffer trying to, you know, she's basically freezing cold she realizing that she's gonna could die in here 
and you watch her go through all this when you could have easily it's like hey mommy i got these matches that you can use opposed to letting her hit the ground with this freaking tire iron looking thing you know trying to create a spark using up all her energy and everything but then you are just sitting there and you know you got these matches this whole time and it's just kind of funny like that but so she proceeds to light the match it lights the trail that goes underneath it blows up these whole these uh gasoline cans that's there blows up the freaking um hotel that they in mitch gets tossed out through the window through the sign flies all the way through the trees into this to a tree and for, i mean it is far-fetched it is ridiculous but it is a cool visual but all but with him all you see is like arms and legs like flying through the air and everything and how he survived that don't know um and everything so i mean Charlie and Caitlin, they escape and everything. And, of course, you got headhunters all over the place. And somehow, Charlie and Caitlin get um, gets, uh, separated. And for some reason, this little girl, she decides to go run over to this big um, tanker or whatnot. <clears throat> and Mitch, he sees her. So Mitch is closest to getting her, to saving her or whatnot. And Charlie has to give him cover, and as he goes in to get her, but of course Mitch gets shot to hell, um, and everything, and we assume that he's dead at this point, or whatnot. And Charlie, she basically fights her way out of there, and all this type of stuff, and ends up inside the tanker, and it takes off in it. And because the whole big plot twist of this whole movie is the fact that they're trying to, they're using a fake terrorist plot, which I'm like, hmm. That's interesting. And, of course, they even bring up about um, the World Trade Center in 93, the whole car bombing that happened there, how that... It, it, this movie kind of almost insinuates that that was more... that it wasn't a real thing. It was more something that was orchestrated to kind of go to war, you know, this, that, and the other, which is kind of what happens in 2001 with World Trade Center once again, that, hey, maybe it was actually an inside job and... That was the excuse to go to war, this, that, and the other. I mean, I'm not going to go too, too into that, but I do find it interesting in 96, which is three years after the car bombing in the garage of, of the World Trade Center, that this gets brought up. And then what happens six years, basically like six years later, almost six years after this movie came out, um, what happened in 2001 basically happened. So, like I said, uh, I'm not going to go too, too much into that. But at the same time, I do just find it kind of convenient. It does make you kind of scratch your head about it, in a way. Um, but, so that's the whole twist here that they using, they want to use like a fake uh, terrorist plot. Because they even have a dead, I think, Iranian or something like that in a car. Which they, they toss Mitch into. And some way, somehow, Mitch is not dead. He actually springs back to life and drives the car out of the back of the truck that they had him in. And he's like, you can't kill me yet, motherfuckers. Well, of course, I mean, you can't go through a Samuel Jackson movie without him saying his trademark motherfucker or whatnot. And everything. But um, Charlie gets into a fight with Timothy because even during the scene where Timothy is about to kill um, Charlie and... Um, Caitlin or whatnot. Caitlin, I'm sorry. Um, they she tells him she looks Timothy right now and say, You're gonna die screaming. You say, Now tell me I'm lying. And he just looks at her and kinda gives this 
half-hearted smile before he leaves the room. So uh, they get into a fight on the bridge, a knife fight at that. And, you know, they're going back and forth. And some way they fall down the shaft and everything. And as they fall down, it, Timothy falls out through the um, through the bottom into the water. And she's like, die screaming, motherfucker, or something like that. But some way, somehow, Timothy survives this. Um, he gets into the helicopter. And he's basically going to snipe her out from, from, from the helicopter. But she proceeds to, she gets a, like a Uzi or something like that. And she shoots the hell out of him. He falls out of the helicopter, screaming, of course, falls on top of the tanker and, and everything. And as, it, and as Mitch, um, some, as Mitch, Charlie and Caitlin are driving a ring. The tanker, because the tanker's on a timer anyway, so they're trying to get across the border. And as they're driving, the tanker blows up with Timothy. Of course, Timothy dies from that. I mean, he was gonna die anyway from falling out of the sky onto this thing. But of course, he we know he's dead, dead from you know the tanker exploding or whatnot. And basically, as they're driving to the border, the the blast radius is so powerful in this thing that it kind of lifts the back of the car up, and you got you know. Um, you got FBI agents, like I said, because it's all a, a, a scheme here. So you got FBI agents and these headhunter guys, and they're in the cars, and it's blowing up. And as they get across the border and everything like that, everything just blows up behind them. And that's kind of basically, you know, they say they stop the whole plot. And the after um, after this is that because Mitch is basically a you know, he was a part of, you know, bringing the whole thing down. He gets interviewed by Larry King um, in a funny way um, and everything like that. And Samantha, well, Charlie now is taking on the persona of of Samantha. And she's basically, she's basically retired at this point. And we get this nice little ending with her, um, the husband and, and the daughter. And it, and the ending does kind of lead you to think, like, hey, maybe she could return. Because as they're sitting out, you know, like having a little picnic or whatnot, um, she takes the knife and she tosses it and kills something. And the husband, he just kind of gives her this look and she just kind of, you know, get this half-hearted thing or whatnot. And like I said, that is, the ending kind of leaves it open that just maybe there could have been a second one after this. But once again, because of freaking cutthroat island, we don't get that. And... Gina Davis' career kind of just goes or whatnot and everything. So that's basically the the, the end of the movie and everything like that. Um, so if I have to give this movie a rating, because I mean, I mean, I used to watch this movie a lot when I was a kid, and it's been been a while since I've actually watched it from beginning to end um, before doing this for the podcast. And if I had to give it a movie a rating, a one out of five rating, I would give it a solid three borderline three and a half because i just like the move for what it is it, it has a good balance to it and i just feel like it it should be more appreciated now especially with movies like atomic blonde which i mean charlie theron is basically is basically charlie baltimore just in germany and whatnot um and everything but it, it's almost kind of the same type of character in a way um and everything, especially with the fact that Atomic Blonde takes place in 1989, and Samantha uh, Charlie Baltimore disappeared in 1989. Uh, see, now there's all these connections that I could even come up with 
we could say that hey maybe maybe atomic blonde is actually charlie baltimore i don't know but uh anyway um but yeah i give it a solid three i know actually no i give it a three and a half i, I will i give it a three because it's, it's just a good two hour action movie that you can just sit back and enjoy don't take it too seriously but you can sit back and enjoy it for what it is or whatnot um if i had to pick a favorite character um i'm actually gonna go with freaking brian cox as nathan j walden i'm not gonna go with mitch hennessy um even though that would be my favorite but well and also gina davis is really good in this but uh i thought brian cox in his small role here is very good um and everything he it would have been cool to see more of him here because just the type of character he is, especially the fact that he has a bunch of guns and they even bring it up like, how many guns you got, old man, and everything. Um, but then too, uh, going back to the whole, going back to the whole born, um, <clears throat> going back to the whole born identity um, thing, the fact that we have. Brian Cox, who was also in Born Identity, he was in Born Identity and Born Supremacy. So there's another connection to that as well, um, and everything. So that's pretty much it uh, for this episode um, of episode 120, the first of the few that I have lined up for May action. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, you can definitely check out all episodes on the TV Zone Podcast Network on Podbean.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, Castbox. Uh, for anyone who has Castbox or anything, podcast is now available there too. You can definitely check it out. And wherever else you listen to your podcast, um, just type in TV Zone Podcast Network, or you can type in J Movie Talk, which is what this podcast is. And you probably can find it anywhere like that. Um, also, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, J Movie Talk as well, and on Instagram at JMT Podcast. And also to the Facebook group page, the TV Zone Podcast uh, Network Facebook group page. You can definitely check us out over there and join the group and can get in on the discussions about the movies, TV shows, and sports, whatever we're discussing over there um, and everything like that. And if you have any suggestions for me on the podcast or just want to leave, you know, um, some feedback or something like that about how I'm doing on the podcast, you can email me at jmovietalk, uh, uh, gmail dot com um as well and of course if you leave want to leave a review and like I say let us know not just how i'm doing but all the other you know shows and stuff that's on the network as well how we're doing you know feel free itunes reviews and things like that um is well appreciated and of course on twitter you can leave me some feedback and i can you know read on the show and, and see let me know what i can do better um for the podcast and things of that nature um, so once again, thank you guys for listening and I'll be back for episode 121 as I'll be recapping not one, but both John Wick movies. So, uh, look forward to that and I will catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace.